If you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, with a full PA system, ticket sales. Uh, we have national bands. We have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at mosdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Mo's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend some Mo's to someone because we cater to all needs a family-friendly atmosphere we have colorado beers on tap all the games on the tvs it will blow your mind with amazing barbecue broncos country is sitting in the south stands drinking the curds from mile high the best part of the Hugging a perfect stranger as they become a friend. Having a good time when the orange and blue WIN. Tuning in every day with the good folks down at BSN. Welcome in to the BSN Broncos podcast, coming to you from the lovely, fantastic, wonderful, perfect. I call it the Mecca, whatever you want to call it. It's the Blake Street Tavern. And if you didn't know, Zach is not here this week. So, those of you who are diehard Henry Chisholm fans, it's your week once again. You only got a one-week break from him. He's back on the podcast. Welcome, Henry. Thank you. Uh, hi, Mom. I think that's my, uh, <laughs> my, my one diehard fan. Well, if you were listening on Friday, you heard that I was not feeling so well, and Henry, this may come as a surprise to you, but doing stuff on the 4th, going to a wedding, and then going to a concert while not feeling well doesn't help you feel that much better. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. I think when you don't feel good, doctors would say, uh, don't do any of those things. I got a little distracted there by your cough. Like You're yeah, kind of proving see? the point just with that. So, excuse my voice. It's still not 100%. Uh, Henry and I are a little late today, as I'm sure you've noticed by the podcast not being in your feed until whenever it was in your feed and you're now listening to it. Uh, because this morning, we headed up to Greeley Country Club in northern Colorado and uh, played around up there in the CU uh, Media Tournament, which was a fantastic event put on every year by the sports information director up there, Dave Platty. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Saw a good old Tad Boyle up there, one of my favorite coaches I've ever covered. Um, we got third place in the tournament. Killed it. Um, not much thanks to me and my sick self. That's my new excuse <laughs> why I didn't play well today. But I think I contributed a couple holes, so I guess I can take a little bit of credit for the uh, $75 gift card to the team store up at CU. Yeah, plus you you did a good job taking the pressure off everybody else. Like, you get the par so that we did we could, like, 
hit the ball at the hole, go for the birdie, and not risk hitting past, like get scared? Yeah. Yeah. I'm supposed to be better than that, though. Yeah, you are, but I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Henry. Uh, anyways, happy to have you on the podcast. I'm sure many people are. Um, Zach is in the only place that I would maybe rather be than the Blake Street Tavern, and that is Santorini. Do you know where that is? Uh, only because I follow him on Instagram, <laughs> and, and it told me it's in Greece. It is in Greece. Santorini, though. I, If I had heard that, I wouldn't have guessed Greece. I believe that is a song by Sublime. Uh, I think that's Santa Via. Yeah, but, same but thing. <laughs> I don't practice Santorini. That's a great song. I'm pretty sure that's the song. Uh, anyways, the Broncos. And speaking of Zach, we are going to talk about Zach here on the podcast. Because Zach, this weekend miraculously from the air on his way to Santorini dropped an article titled what to expect from Denver's sophomore class in 2019. And what's funny is I almost want to say he did this exact same article last year. And then you and I reacted to it on the podcast shortly thereafter. Yeah, no, I think my first ever podcast was roasting Zach for his takes Uh on his sophomore class. Yeah. So we are going to now roast Zach based on his takes, and he can't defend them, which is just the way we like it now. Except that, I mean, how I long is the story, though? Story's 1,500 more, 1,500 it's, plus words. It's thick. There's plenty of plenty of time for him to, to defend himself. It's a thick story with two Cs. Two um, Cs. But let's just go over what he has predicted and see what we have predicted. I actually, I remember last year thinking he was off in some places. I'm actually pretty comfortable with where he is in a lot of places here. So I want to see where you're at. Um, I already told him on Friday that I disagreed with some of his rookie stuff. But let's see where we're at with, with the sophomore. So he starts here with Bradley Chubb. And just to give you guys uh, some perspective, I'm sure most of you know. But last season, 12 sacks, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, 60 tackles, 14 tackles for a loss, 21 quarterback hits, and, of course, 16 starts. Here's what Zach has as his projection for 2019. 14 and a half sacks, so it's two and a half more, 65 tackles, 18 for a loss, 25 quarterback hits. So Zach is essentially predicting just a solid upward trend here. Yep, and I mean, that's – he took some risks in some places in this story, but this was not one of them. Throw, out, throw on two more sacks, throw on five more tackles, four tackles for a loss, four quarterback hits. Like, I think it's fair to expect improvement and – for him, you don't really know when when a guy like that whose job is to get after the quarterback, to stop the run, he has so many different things. Some stats will probably fall. More of them will probably go up, and it's kind of tough to predict which will go which way. So it's a little consistent bump to everything seems fair. Here's where I'm at on this. I'm, I'm always concerned with a guy who had a great rookie season just expecting him to take the jump because okay. – when a guy has an – like, look at Cortland Sutton. He had a solid to good rookie season. Yeah, it's tough to hate. Based on expectations, it was below them. But when you look at a rookie, you say he got 700 receiving yards, you're going to say that's good. Um, it's easy to see the trajectory for him. Like, it's easily, easy to say, like, okay, he should beat that. With Bradley Chubb, it's like, man, he went out there and almost broke the rookie sack record. And so what I'm getting at here is it's not inconceivable for him to go backwards. 
No, and I, I think he will go backwards in a couple, couple spots. I'm just not willing to say sacks are going down or tackles are going down. But he just played so well, like he's going to fall off in a couple places, but I think he'll be a little bit better, and so more places he'll improve. And here's what Zach would say if he was here, because it's in his article. He would say, guys, what you're not realizing is that those stats were compiled in a very concentrated area. Because between week six and week 13, 10 and a half of those 12 sacks came. So at that point, he showed you MVP caliber play for eight games. Yeah. So if he can do that even close to that for 16, you're talking about flirting with 20 sacks. For sure. But I think as a pass rusher, that's that's a position where you naturally have hot streaks and yep. dry spells. Obviously, having 10 and a half of his 12 sacks over eight half of weeks, the season. That's, that's an incredible hot streak. But, I mean, we see the same thing with Vaughn. We'll get the hot start to the season. Everybody's saying, well, wait, he's on pace for 30 sacks. He's going to get it this year. And then he ends up in the 15, 16 range, whatever it he's is. He's never getting 30 sacks. He is never getting 30 sacks. Is anybody ever getting 30 sacks? No. 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 Honestly, it'll be like like Barry Bonds, although even though he broke the record, like they just started intentionally walking him. Like if a guy is on pace for 30 sacks, teams will just – Say, like, no matter what, we're not allowing them to get a sack today. Okay, here's a better question. Will Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb ever combine for 30 sacks? Uh, they can. I think they can. Will they? This year's probably their best chance. I think so. You're talking about Bradley Chubb making that leap. So let's say he gets 14 and a half. That means Vaughn just has to get 15 and a half. Now, that would be a high number for Vaughn based on what he's put out the last couple of years. And Zach and I kind of talked about this while you were gone, but... That shouldn't be a high number for him. When you watch him play, it's confusing that he doesn't get at least a sack a game. But I think it could happen. I'm not willing to bet on it, though. I would hate to be in Von Miller's position because if he doesn't get a sack in a game, it's a bad game, right? For sure. But he was probably the most dominant player on the field that entire game. Yeah. Like, he gave the offense more trouble than anyone else yet. Nothing everyone thinks everyone thinks oh well Vaughn didn't get a sack today it's a bad game so so you think 15 and a half should be attainable Henry he's only done that once in his career and it was the 18 and a half season 2012 was was that his second season his second season the 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 Bradley Chubb the Bradley Chubb sophomore season I mean and and Vaughn in his rookie season had 11 and a half so same trajectory if Bradley Chubb can go get that but here's the rest of his seasons after that. 2013, 5, he's injured. 2014, 14, 11, 13 and a half, 10, 14 and a half last year. That was his best season since 2012. And it wasn't even, like, considered that. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is for them to hit 30, Bradley Chubb's got to do that. Or, or Vaughn's got to do it. Yep. If, For sure. if Bradley Chubb goes ahead and gets 18 and a half, like they're hitting 30. Easily. But if Bradley Chubb gets 14 and a half, then you're, you're, you're asking Vaughn to have his best season since 2012. And that's just not realistic. And you, we hear people talk about that 30-sack number, like a duo can do it, but that's, that's an incredible number of sacks. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's going to take someone putting up 20 and for, for a duo to get 30. Yeah, for sure. 
Okay. So, where are you at? On, well, let's just go sacks here. We don't need to go through the other stuff because the other stuff is – I mean, sacks are pretty hard to predict as, as well, but the yeah. other stuff is impossible. Where are you at on sacks? Put a number down. He says 14 and a half. I feel more comfortable 13 and a half, maybe 14. I'll, I'll go 13 and a half. All right. Just to be, you know, me, I'll go ahead and put my name on 15. Oh, boy. 15. Sh- oh, boy. 15. Like, that, sh- that shouldn't be crazy. But the scary part is that 10 is in play as well. 10 is 100% in play. And that's the only thing that kind of gives me a little bit of worry is it's like you can't just expect everyone to always trend forward. No, but you really can't. with Ed Donatel and Vic Fangio and the way they talk about Bradley Chubb and the way that they – I mean, I ch- I've heard from inside that building they think Bradley Chubb is a better fit for their defense than Von Miller. Now – Von Miller is a fit for every defense ever, so I don't think it's as much of it's not it's not necessarily a slight on Von Miller, because they're just saying like Von Miller's an everything player for sure. But Bradley Chubb is like catered to this defense; he's perfect for this defense, like Khalil Mack almost. Like he's that same like that's big, the, and that's the name that was brought up. Yeah, he's he's a guy in that three four who's an outside linebacker, but in the back of your mind, you are kind of thinking like, I wonder what would happen if you put him at defensive end because he really could do both. He just fits better at the outside linebacker. Like that's what you. They're just the same player in that same vein. Um, but Bradley's not quite as fast, I don't think. But they are they're similar in build. They are. Going back to your 15-sack prediction, I just want to run through the top NFL sack leaders of last season. Number one was Aaron Donald with 20 and a half. Number two was J.J. Watt with 16. Number three was Chris Jones with 16, or 15 and a half. Uh, number four was a tie between Von Miller and Daniil Hunter for f- with 14 and a half. That's who, where he should be. You think Bradley Chubb should be number three or number four in the league? Why not? Ah, d- ah. He's a number five overall pick. He's tailor-made for this defense. True, but, I mean, just listen to the names. Like, that's in front of Frank Clark, Miles Garrett, so wait, name Brian the teams, Kerrigan. Name the teams of the players in the top. Rams, Texans, Chiefs. Okay. Broncos, Vikings, Seahawks. Okay, all right. Is that good? Most of those teams are good. Yep. If the Broncos can be decent, Bradley Chubb will get there. The problem is if you're behind in games, there are no you're not going to get pass rushing opportunities. So we'll see. But, I mean, yeah, those names don't, like, intimidate me when, I'm, when it comes to comparing them to Bradley Chubb. But, I mean, when you hear Miles Garrett or Bradley Chubb, I think probably on the same level, give the edge to Miles Garrett probably. Did you see that video of him jumping onto, like, a table that was at, like, it looked like, I don't know, five feet? So you see him, like, jumping up, and you're like, oh, yeah, I've seen videos like this before. Guy just, like, jumps really high onto this yeah, thing. Yeah, for sure. Then he's holding two 50-pound dumbbells in what? his hands. No. Yes. And he just oh. levitates onto this table that's, like, Easily as high as that ledge, which I'm pointing to, which is, like, definitely four or five feet above the ground. And just, like, floats onto this thing. And then you just see the dumbbells in his hands. You're like, are you kidding me? Okay, so here's a question. If uh, if there were two 50-pound dumbbells on the ground right now, do you think I could, like, grab both of them and pick them both up at the same time? Like, one yes. in each hand. Really? Yes. Huh. I don't know. I'm tempted to try it. But I don't think you could jump, like, onto one of these oh, chairs. Oh, no. No. <laughs> There's no way I'm jumping anywhere with those. I can't jump already. Yeah. So, yeah, he's a freak. But uh, 
in the end, pass rushing is so situational. And yep. so the, the reason Aaron Donald is up there is, one, he's Aaron Donald. He's a freak. But so is Von Miller. So is Miles Garrett. So are all those guys. J.J. Watt. The reason that he's up there is because his team was winning all the time. And he's amazing. Yep. Yeah. And that gave him just the opportunity to wreak havoc on, on a week-in, week-out basis. And the other thing is, I mean, we talk a lot about how Von Miller can free up Bradley Chubb or Bradley Chubb can free up Von Miller. And that's definitely true. And that makes for a very productive defense because one of those guys on 90% of plays is going to be underaccounted for by the offense. But when it comes to individual sack stats, they are stealing sacks from each other. And they're creating opportunities for each other, creating guys on the interior. And so to actually get up into the top three with another guy who should be top five, who was, he was number four. They were both top ten though last year. It's just going to be so hard to improve on that. They were both top ten though with a bad offense. Yeah. It should open up. It should open. Like the Broncos should be like leading a game 14-0 at some point this year. That should happen. At some point, yeah. That's, I mean, I don't know. I guess that's what it's going to come down to. When's, I, don't, I don't even know the last time that's ever happened. They just go out there, walk down the field, score a touchdown. I think they had a – they had a 7-0 lead on the Ravens because they had that blocked uh, punt. Might have been a 10-0 lead. I, I can't remember a 14-0 lead. No. No. It, it, no. Uh, that's, just, that's just too bad. Like, they, they need to. I'm so tired of watching bad offense. Yeah. I would sell my soul to just watch good offense. Good offense is so much fun. It's, it's such a, it's, I don't know. All last season. You watch the Broncos play at 225, and they're, you know, like, just slugging around. Like, maybe they pick up 15 yards on a drive. Maybe they pick up 30. Rarely more than that. And then they give it to the other team, and there's not much offense the other way because of the good defense. And it's just this slow back and forth. And so that game ends. You turn on Sunday night football, and all of a sudden it's these crazy offenses. It's like the Chiefs or the Rams. The Chiefs and the Rams together is the perfect example. They're just like flying around the field, and it's like the dessert after like you go through the entire day watching the Broncos. Ugh. The NFL Ugh. was so much fun last year that the Broncos reached the point of like, I, I guarantee you there are some people who are sitting out there feeling like, man, I'm missing some good football to watch the Broncos game right now. Yeah. I mean, luckily we had four TVs in my living room, so I wasn't missing any. That is lucky. But that also means that I know how much everybody else was missing out on. On Sundays, I have this deep internal struggle because I want to get to the Broncos game early uh, because I just feel comfortable. Like, I settle in. I have everything. Like, I can eat, whatever. But I cherish laying on the couch and watching Red Zone. Yeah. And so, like, it's this constant struggle of, like, all right, can I, can I go till like, like uh, you know, one more ten minutes? Or, like, can <laughs> I go ten more minutes? Fifteen? Like, uh, I'll, I'll just wait a few more. And then uh, I'm like, all right, now I have to go really fast. So. Yeah. Uh, that, that was, like, kind of a thing last year. And then, of course, we, mi- we pretty much missed Sunday Night Football doing our coverage. So we'd be, like, looking up, and it's like, like Chief, uh, Chiefs Patriots, like forty to forty with thirty seconds. I'm like, man, this is probably such. It's a good incredible. Game. It's incredible because, I mean, it's so often it isn't bad defense either. Like so often it's teams with good pass rushers. Like the Chiefs, they had Chris Jones. How many sacks do he have? Like fifteen and a half, sixteen, whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, they have guys who are playing on the other end. It's just that the offenses are so fast and flying around everywhere 
Like, it, it, it does feel good to watch the Broncos take an offense like that and just shut them down. Honestly, that's probably one of the best feelings you can get watching football is see a great unit like the Chiefs just get stomped by the Broncos, but just missing out on so much of the fun parts of football watching the Broncos play. So that so one good offense. Also, one real quick note on those offensive games. I think there's something called the shootout effect which wears on defenses and mentally allows them to relax. Like it happened in that Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Eagles. Both of those teams had very respectable defenses, but the shootout effect happened where they were just like they like knew they were going to they knew the offense would score again. Yeah. So they didn't feel like pressure and they felt like they could sag back a little more mm-hmm. and it just like allows the other team to go right down the field. Then you have the opposite the opposite of the shootout effect, the Tebow effect. <laughs> the defense is just like, all we got to do is just hang on for dear life until the end of the game, and then they'll finally score. Oh, Yeah, I mean, I think part of like your shootout effect could also be, I mean, everybody gets tired. If you send the receivers down the field, receivers get tired, defensive backs get tired. By the end of the game, everybody's just toasted. And that doesn't just affect you quarterback's physically. Fine. Quarterback's just fine. Unless unless he's the Broncos quarterback, then he's been standing up behind one of those offensive lines that's just getting him beat up all day. But uh, so they don't get in shootouts, and they don't get in shootouts. But when all that happens to you, when everybody's running up and down the field, it it wears you down mentally too, and you're slower to react. And so the offense, the receivers get this advantage because they know where they're going. They know they're running 15 yards upfield and cutting in, and the defense doesn't. And so a cornerback is lined up right there. He's just totally slowed down after all this, and he's just forced to react, and he's slower because of it. I think that that's always been my theory, at least. You know what's funny? What's funny? We always, like, worry in this time of the offseason, like, are we going to have enough to talk about? <sighs> well, we're through one player, and we've been talking for 20 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> let's move on to Cortland <laughs> Sutton. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cortland Sutton. Last year, 704 receiving yards, 42 receptions, four touchdowns, 50% catch rate. That's a little worrisome. Nine starts. Here's what Zach projects. 950 receiving yards, 75 receptions, eight touchdowns, and, of course, the 16 starts. Okay, so, Ryan, if that's his stat line, what are you thinking about Corton Sutton after the next season? I'm saying, like, next season – I'm saying his third season he becomes a number one. Yeah, I'm uh, saying, like, third season you expect him to go to the Pro Bowl. Yeah. I think with that stat line of second season, I think that that's pretty close to his ceiling. I don't think it's unattainable, but 950 – His ceiling for this season? Yes. 950 yards this season, that's a lot. And, I mean, we don't know much about the offense. Maybe yards are going to be a lot easier for this team to find, but it seems like a lot. I'd be more comfortable putting him in, like, the 850 range, 800. Isn't it crazy, though, because 850 feels a lot safer, right? Yeah. But the difference there is like something like uh, what would, I don't know. What would sixteen hundred divided yards. by sixteen be? Uh, it's like eight yard, ex- yeah. eight extra yards yeah, a game. So, yeah. <sighs> somehow eight ex- somehow eight fifty feels really safe, whereas nine fifty feels really risky. And the difference is eight yards a game. Yeah. But but nine fifty that just sounds like so much because then he's a borderline thousand yard receiver. I know. I wish Zach would have just. Made the leap here. I know. If you're gonna say he's 950, yeah. you should just say he's a thousand. Yeah, and I'm mean, because like, then I'm like, wow, you're really going for it. At BSN, like we don't really go after all the hot takes. It's but true. When you're so close to a hot take, you might as well put your name on it and just yeah. Like, it. it's the water is so close to boiling. 
Just <laughs> sprinkle a little salt in there, and it'll start to boil. Okay, Ryan, can you guess how many thousand-yard receivers there were in the NFL last year without looking at my computer? I can't see your computer. Oh, okay, good. Um, oh, I, I feel like I'm going to be just hilariously off. <laughs> uh, let me say 14. 20. Okay. I wasn't hilariously off. No, you weren't. And I was really hoping you wouldn't be because I was going to feel bad for sending that question at you. But, uh, I mean, is Cortland Sutton going to be a top 20 receiver in terms of production next season? Well, how many were there above 950? Above 950? Uh, Tyler Lockett was 22nd with 965. 23rd was Jared Cook, a tight end. So their tight ends included this at 896. Okay, so 22. Is he going to be a top 22 receiver? No. That's the question. Um... The answer lies in the hands of Emmanuel Sanders. Mm. Is Emmanuel Sanders the number one receiver? Lost my voice there for a sec. Because <laughs> if he is, then Cortland Sutton's not getting 950 yards. <sighs> now, of course, we, do, we are not too far removed from multiple 1,000-yard uh, seasons by receivers. Who was the quarterback? Uh, a guy named Peyton Manning. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but I think they flirted with it. Will you real quick look up what they had in Trevor Simeon's first season? Yes. It's possible for two receivers to hit 1,000. But if Emmanuel Sanders is healthy week one, which we had a conversation last week on the pod, Zach and I, or maybe it was week before. No, last week. That was a little bit worrisome just because Emmanuel wouldn't commit to week one. So if Emmanuel starts 16 weeks, he's the number one receiver for 16 weeks. Courtney Sun doesn't get 950. But I think that if Emmanuel is like out until week four, what? So I just looked it up. 2016, Trevor Simeon's first season. Uh, Demarius Thomas, 1,083 yards. Emmanuel Sanders, 1,032 yards. Oh, my God. Uh, third receiver. Can you guess who the third receiver was? This I'm was, talking this was any a, position. Yeah, this was a crazy stat. Because I remember the Broncos were the only team in the NFL that didn't have a uh, third receiver. What was it? Over 350? Is this person under 350? Devontae Booker was the third receiver. I was going to guess that, by with the way. Two, oh, okay. With 265 receiving yep. yards. Next yeah, receiver was Jordan Norwood with 232. So, Jordan Taylor, 209. So the Broncos were the only team in the NFL that didn't have a third receiver over 300 yards. Um. So I guess that that skews it a little bit. Like they're not going to yeah. have that big of a disparity this year. You sure hope not. Um, you assume that like, and Deshaun Hamilton's on this list, so we'll talk about him. You assume that Deshaun Hamilton's going to get a chunk. Phil Lindsay, I, yeah. I expect Phil Lindsay to have more than 300 receiving yards. Why not? Yeah. Why wouldn't he? Uh, I guess if Bill Musgrave was the offensive coordinator, I mean, it would 25 be the only receiving reason. yards a game puts him at 400. He should have 25 receiving yards like every quarter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I was the OC, he would. Um, so, again, we're not going to see 2,000-yard receivers this year. No, we aren't. Unless they just decide that the rest of the offense doesn't matter like Trevor Simeon did, which for a rookie or a first-year starter surrounded by those two guys, it kind of made sense for him to just be like, I'm just throwing those guys. Joe Flacco likes tight ends, though. I'm not sure if you've heard. Exactly. Yeah. So, Noah Fant's going to be in the mix. Yep. Dashaun Hamilton's going to be in the mix. For sure. Phil Lindsay's going to be in the mix. There's not like a million yards to just spread around. That's where I come down on Cortland Sutton and say I just don't see him flirting with 1,000 unless Emmanuel Sanders is just never fully healthy. Yeah, and that's really what it would take. And is that would be really unfortunate because that would mean the Broncos are in a 
in some trouble. Yeah, you can't because who's their third receiver? Tim Deshaun. Patrick. I mean, yeah, Deshaun would go to the slot. It's, yeah, it's a com- it's a competition between Tim Patrick and Jawan Winfrey. Yeah, that's not that's not good. That's not yeah, it's not good. It's exciting so, for the future. It's not good. I like Zach going out on a limb. I don't think he gets that high. I actually, the more that we talk about this, think he might be in the 800 range. Yeah. Early 800s. Or maybe not even receiving. My thing receiving is. Receiving yards should go up. Yes, because he's going to get so much, so many more like, opportunities. Where did he get those 700 yards It doesn't last make year? sense to me. It does not make sense to me. Because I'm like, he's definitely going to have a better season than that. It didn't feel like he was even on the field all that often, and he only caught the ball 50% of the time it was thrown at him. Like it was seven, just a lot of big plays. Yeah, and see, that's what I was going to say is that he, you're going to get a couple 50-yard – I think you're going to get at least one 50-yard game a, a gain, a couple 40-yard gains because that's who he is. And so maybe there is a higher ceiling there just because he is that kind of guy. What I do agree with is the touchdowns. Yes. I think you're going to see touchdowns go way up for him. Yep. And Zach's predicting them to double. That isn't that crazy to me. No. But the only way I could see them not going up quite that much is if Noah Fant just becomes a red zone slayer. Exactly. It's it it's if he doesn't get up to eight touchdowns, it's not going to be because he he underperformed. It's because somebody else became a red zone threat that we aren't expecting. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know. I I feel like it should. I see like why Zach is just feeling like if he just has a good season. Last year wasn't a good season for him. No, and he got 700 yards. Yeah, so it's like I feel like Zach's sitting there thinking like, man, if he just shows up every game. Yeah. Like he only started nine times. If he just shows up every game, he should get there. I I get why Zach's doing that, but I feel like it's just going to get spread around too much. Yeah, Zach's saying that Cortland Sutton is going to get 15 yards more per game, which doesn't sound that crazy. No. In fact, it should be – it feels like you should be able to just lock it in stone. Yeah. But – Unless the offense is prolific, there's not going to be that many yards to go around. No. All right, next on the list here, Royce Freeman. Uh, 2018, 521 rushing yards, five touchdowns, four yards per carry, 72 receiving yards, eight starts. What Zach predicts, 700 rushing yards, eight touchdowns, four and a half yards per carry. Yeah. So – a slight increase in rushing yards, a slight increase in touchdowns. Is that what you see? Yeah, but if you go back and like do the math, uh, Royce Freeman had 130 carries last year. Zach is projecting 160 carries this year, and that's the part that I'm not so sure about. I don't, I don't think that he's really going to get that many more touches. I would be you just s- do some math real quick to figure that out. No, I did that before. I oh, cheated. Okay. All right, no. I, was, I was gonna say, damn, bro. <laughs> yeah, but I mean. I could see him getting up to like 600 yards. I do think he'll be better. Like, like his rate stats will improve. I think that that will lead to more yards. I don't think that he's going to get 30 more touches over the course of the season. Zach protected himself with the semantics here. He said, it wouldn't be a complete shock if he leads the team in rushing attempts. To me, that would be a complete shock. Just I because don't, I know uh, Philip Lindsay. Like, I know what happens when yeah. he gets on the field. It's just too hard to not give him the ball. And see, that's the thing. Like, I'm not sure that I'd be totally shocked. I would be disappointed, though, because that seems like a bad decision to give more touches to Royce Freeman than Phil Lindsay. The only way that happens is if he, if Royce just lights the world on fire. And, and that's not 700 yards. No, and it's not 4.4 yards per carry. Right. This For Royce to have more yards, he's going to have to be around five yards per carry. 
He has to be getting, you know, multiple hundred-yard games. Yep. And I just – it's not anything against Royce. I just know Phil. And I know it happens that when a, t- when a team gets into the heat of battle and Phil Lindsay is biting off five yards of carry – you, you just, have to feed you him. Can't give, you, you can't, can't not you give can't him the ball. Not give him the ball. And how many times did you think that over the course of the last season? When they get down to the goal line and they're like messing around, trying to throw the ball. Maybe they put Royce Freeman in there. And you just think, give the ball to Phil and he's going to score a touchdown because that's what he does every single time you give him the ball in this situation. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes they overthink it because they're like, we only want to give Phil 15 touches this game. Like, we got to protect his body. And it's uh, like, just win the game. Just go figure out ways to score. <laughs> yes. But yes. Anyways, I do think Royce uh, will improve this year. For the main fact is he'll be on the field the whole year, and he's going to be healthy. Yep. Ho- hopefully he'll be healthy. I'll touch wood. Hopefully he'll be healthy the whole year. And if that happens, he will be in the 700 rushing yard area, yep. maybe even better. Yep. I don't hate the projection, but I'd go a little lower. Okay. Next one's Isaac Yadam. This one should be pretty easy to go through. Last year, one interception, three pass deflections, 20 tackles, one start. Zach projects special team stud and 15% of the defensive snaps. Yeah. Works for me. Yeah, he'll see the field occasionally maybe. He needs to be a special team stud. That's kind of who he is at this point. Yeah, and we we need to see him take a leap uh, defensively. So in those 15%, he better not be looking lost. No, because otherwise he's going to be in a Brendan Langley situation where you're, you're just, just going to add him to the – What? Yeah, what you're going to send him to the island of, of missed cornerback draft picks. Uh, uh, don't like that. It's quite a few people over there. You could have a good time, at least on that island. Like That Kayvon is a fun Webster's group. There. That is a really fun group. Bradley Roby's Do you there. follow Kayvon Webster on Instagram still? Uh-uh. Oh, he is still always having fun. He's hanging out with, like, Dookie and Nacho all the time. Like, I think uh, Omar Bolden might still be around there. Still. Like, oh, does he's Omar Bolden go to that island? Ah, uh, yeah. Yep, he's on that island. Was he, Was he like, a corner safety well, hybrid type of thing? Yes, but really not either was the problem. Like, it was one of the other, like, he was corner before, was supposed to be a safety, or was, like, safety supposed to be corner, but he never really fit into either role, and he was just, like, a great special teams guy. My favorite thing about Omar Bolden, when he was at ASU, uh, he went to ASU, right? I'm not sure. I'm I'm psyching myself out here. I'm 99% (laughs) sure he went to ASU. He's at ASU. Uh, after his junior season, he called a press conference uh, to announce whether or not he was coming back to school. Ooh. And anyone who covers college knows if they announce a press conference, it means they're announcing they're leaving. Yeah. No one announces a press conference to say they're coming back. So, anyways, he's wearing a suit and and all you know he's all decked out and he's like, "I've loved all my time at ASU. I really love this university. I appreciate that." Everything they've done for me, a big thank you to Coach So-and-so, this and that, this and that, building it up, right? Yeah. He goes, and that's why I'm excited to announce I'm staying another year. And he (laughs) he rips his shirt open, and he's wearing his ASU jersey under his suit. Oh, that's incredible. And, like, I just can imagine, as an ASU fan, that would have been, like, the most exhilarating moment ever. For sure. And see, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you follow those guys on Instagram, and they're, like, working out in Vegas, working out in L.A., doing, like, some beach – it's a lot of working out, which, like, isn't quite my thing. But everything – else that they're doing seems like a lot of fun like you can just imagine them like going to the club after like hanging out at the beach after brendan langley's there they're making records they're making records hey sue cravens maybe soon not a corner but ah yeah maybe we expand it to defensive backs then we could definitely include omar bolden too true all right next one here josie jewel 
Last year, 58 tackles, four for a loss, three passes defended, nine starts. Zach's projection, 75 tackles, 16 starts. 16 games starter. Uh, just to pay, I mean, the, who who else would take that second inside linebacker spot? No one, and that's why Zach did that. But I think there's a chance they have games where they start with only one linebacker on the field. So yeah. that won't technically count as a yeah. start for him, which is a, kind of a dumb thing. Also, did you know that punters can't register starts? And uh, see, that's kind of messed up, I think. And that's just something some guy who made a stat decided. Like, I want to know who decided. Like, no, punters don't get starts. Because somebody did that, and we all just have bought in for years. Yep. No starts. Know. Punters don't count. Uh, I, it's, it's, it's kind of unfair. It is. It's just dumb. Anyways, I feel like he'll get robbed of a couple starts just because he won't be on the field for the first defensive snap. Okay. Um, 75 tackles. Slight increase. Is that where you're, what you're thinking? When I saw 75 tackles, I thought, eh, that's a little bit high. Then I saw 58, and it was kind of like Cortland Sutton last year, where you just don't know, like, where did those tackles come from? I don't remember him making 58 tackles, you know? Right. I tip my cap to Zach on this one, because my answer, if someone asked me, what do you think Josie Jules is going to do this year, would be, I have no clue. Yeah. Like, yep. I just, it's at least we're only like nine days away from training camp, when I'll be able to tell you, like, okay, here's what I think they're going to do at linebacker. Yeah. I have no clue what they're doing. Like, I, all this time I thought Josie Jewell was going to get replaced. He never did. And so now I'm just in this limbo of, like, I don't know what the, what their plan is here. So let me watch it for a while, and then I'll come back and say, okay, here's what's going to happen. Josie Jewell is going to have 100 tackles because Vic Fangio loves him. You know? Like, yeah. Yeah, and to me, I've never been a big Josie Jewell guy. He – uh I never bought into that hype that came right away because immediately after he was drafted in the fourth round, everybody said, oh, he's the future starting linebacker. And to me, I was like, wait, if he was like a clear future starting linebacker, he would not have gone in the fourth round. The only thing he was missing is the speed. He's he's great tackler. He uh, has great instincts, but he's not fast. But And see, like that's the a huge thing. It's not like you're saying like, oh, you, you wish he could tackle a little better. Like, and that's something you can coach up. The thing is, like, the tape showed that he was able to close down prospects who were running four fours. Huh. And so it's like, well, then maybe you shouldn't be too concerned about his straight line speed because he's taking the right angles and cutting these guys down. Yeah. But it didn't – he didn't flash last year. He just looked solid. So I think he will have an increase in tackles um, because I'm just guessing that he's going to be involved. Yep. But I have – I cannot – honestly tell you i know what their plan is to do with yeah. just jewel yeah and i think my biggest issue with it is to me todd davis as an inside linebacker is a tackler more than he is a coverage linebacker and that's the same thing you have in josie jewel and to have two of those guys instead of staggering like here's a guy who can stop the run and he can cover a little bit too and then here's a guy who can cover and he can stop the run a little bit too that fit just makes more sense to me than having two guys especially when I, I trust this defensive line. I think that that's still going to be one of the stronger groups. Even though you lose Domita Pecco, who was kind of the main reason that they were able to stop the run, he just plugged up the A-gaps, you still have a group of guys who can slow him down. And the problem for years has been they can't stop running backs and, uh, and tight ends in the passing game. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm curious to see what they're going to do. I, I, I do not know yet. Stat-wise, though, 17 more tackles, can't argue. Yeah, it game. should happen. Yeah, it should. All right, here's where things get more interesting. 
Yeah. I have a feeling you're going to disagree with this. I really do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Deshaun Hamilton. Last season, 243 receiving yards, 30 receptions, two touchdowns, 67% catch rate, five starts. Here's what Zach is projecting. He is a big Deshaun Hamilton guy. 700 yards, 65 catches, five touchdowns. He's not getting 700 yards. There isn't enough there aren't enough yards to go around. That's yeah, that's where I'm it's not all adding up for me because now you've got between Deshaun Hamilton and Cortland Sutton 1650 yards, right? Yeah. It's uh, that's it, a that's a lot. That's a lot of yards. I mean, that's what I guess if you add Cortland Sutton and and uh, Emmanuel together from last year, that's what you're getting. Yeah, and so before the podcast, when I saw Deshaun Hamilton, I was wondering how often does a third receiver get 700 yards? And so I ran through it. Best passing offense last year, Tampa Bay. Their fourth receiver actually got 774. Wow. Yeah, that was Deshaun Jackson, their fourth receiver. Wow. And so that that was actually kind of an outlier, though. Was so, there a tight end involved there? No. No. So that was uh, Mike Evans at 1,500, Chris Godwin at 840, Adam Humphreys at 816, Deshaun Jackson at 774, O.J. Howard had 565. Wow. That's the best passing offense in the league, which also surprised me. That wouldn't have been my guess, Tampa Bay. Yeah, I remember they were putting up gaudy passing numbers every week. <sighs> so, but then, magic, baby. But then you move on, Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh has uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, 14, Antonio Brown with 1,300, Vance Joseph, or Vance McDonald was their third receiver at 610. So... Under 700, he's a tight end. So only the second – so only the f- best passing offense. I think I, – I ran through the top 10. There were a couple more. Okay. But but most of them, the third receiver is like 500 yards, 450 yards. And it's just it's just so rare to have a third receiver get 700 yards than expecting Deshaun Hamilton to be the guy. Unless Zach just doesn't think Emmanuel is going to be that big of a deal. Maybe. Maybe. In the, if that's the case, it kind of changes things. But I, I I don't know how the yards where the yards come from. I don't either. I don't either. especially when we expect more from the tight ends. Here's Zach's case, I think, because in the four final four weeks of the season, where when where when Deshaun Hamilton was one healthy and two featured in the offense, he put up 25 catches for 182 yards and two touchdowns. Zach prorates that for a 16 game season. He says that's 100 receptions, 728 yards, eight touchdowns. My counter to that would be that he was the second receiver in that yep. offense. Yep. I mean, there was a debate whether he or Tim Patrick was number two. Like, they were both kind of, like, half-filling that job. But expecting him to keep up that pace over the entire season, I just I just don't see it, especially when you have tight end threats now. All right, Troy Fumagalli, last year IR, of course. Zach projects 20 receptions, 200 yards. I don't see 20 receptions, 200 yards. I think I think he could get less than that. I think he could get more than that. I think that if he's actually on the field playing, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like a 400-yard guy. But I would. Just that's a lot of yards. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think it's slim that he is Jeff that Hyrum's guy. Jeff Hyrum's never even gotten near 400 yards. Yeah, but we don't need to go down that road. 
I <laughs> I think I think there's a good chance that he ends up like 100, maybe gets up to 150. And if and if he really is worth putting on the field ahead of the other guys, ahead of Jake Butt, Noah Fant, and Jeff Hireman, here's then the thing: he's is putting up 400 yards. Jake Butt, we don't know. I mean, he says he's gonna be healthy for camp. If he's healthy for camp, all bets are off when it comes to Trey yeah. Flamigali. If they, if they're gonna do the like pup dance with him, yeah, then Troy Fumagalli becomes your third tight end, and and then you know, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. But I think time is going to be limited for him. I think twenty catches. What is that? Well, you're gonna see Troy Fumagalli come in on running downs to be the second tight end with Jeff Hireman, and then they're gonna be he's gonna be utilized in like a oh we're tricking you by coming in with a two tight end set looking like we're gonna run it and doing a bootleg. Yep. Yep. All right, Sam Jones, he projects the same uh, a special teamer after obviously not playing last year. Um, special Fair. teamer, backup interior lineman, makes sense. Keyshawn Bieria, special teamer, backup inside linebacker, makes sense. Final one here, Phil Blinsey. 950 rushing yards, 10 touchdowns total, 50 receptions, 500 receiving yards. So we let's talk about last year's stats too. Zach has him dropping 87 rushing yards. Oh, right. Sorry, I forgot uh, to. Uh, which is important. Same number of touchdowns, uh, 15 more receptions, and uh, 260 more receiving yards. So he sees him becoming more of a receiving back. Which Here's the problem. Here's the problem. If all of these predictions come true, the Broncos have the most electric <laughs> passing offense in the league. Yeah. Because yeah. they have uh, – Emmanuel Sanders, who's certainly going to be in the 1,000-yard range. Cortland Sutton in the 1,000-yard range. 700 yards from Deshaun Hamilton. 500 yards from Philip Lindsay, right? Wouldn't that be equivalent to uh, what Tampa Bay did last year with four receivers over 500 yards? Yeah. Or, no, or they had four over 700. They did. Okay. Um, But I just did the math really quickly. I think uh, Cortland Sutton, uh, Deshaun Hamilton, Troy Fumigali, Philip Lindsay, he has combining for – 2200 22 2300 yeah. yards. You got to cut in 500 or so for Noah Fant. Yeah. That's 27 28 and then you get 1000. I mean, if Cortland Sutton's putting up 950, Emmanuel Sanders is getting 1000 minimum, right? So that gets you what? 30 38. So, well, if Joe Vigo's going to throw for 4000 yards, they're there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jeff. You also have to cut out, like. Jeff Hireman gets a couple. Jake Butt gets a couple. Right. Tim Patrick gets a couple. So Devontae Booker. Devontae, yeah. Uh, Royce, Royce Freeman. Freeman, yeah. Andy Janovich. But, I, <laughs> I mean, thought I was going to get a response on that one. What? <laughs> Andy Janovich. He's got, you got to cut in Andy Janovich. Yeah, okay. Unless uh. it's no neck. Um, th- I mean, you're getting, you're starting to flirt up with 4,500 yards. That's a tall order for Joe Flacco. If all this happens, the Broncos are a playoff team. For sure. If all these projections come through. And I think Zach is trying to evaluate each guy on an individual basis rather than doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, which is fair. I mean, I, it's, and it feels he's like... Just, he's leaning optimistically. Yeah, he's, he's putting everybody at like 75% of their potential. Whereas we're putting them like 50%. We're saying like this is probably your average, maybe even a little skeptical. I feel like I've been a little skeptical through this. For sure, and that wasn't planned at all. I think it's just uh, when I read this, I was like, wow, this is very optimistic, which is there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think Phil stays in that same range 
uh, in the rushing yards category. What is he? Whether he gets a thousand, whether he gets nine fifty, I don't know. Yep. He will get more receiving yards um, and receptions. Doubling it would be impressive, but he, I mean, again, I, there's not, there's no reason to say it's not logical that he would double his receiving yards because he was hardly used. It's like yeah. Cortland Sutton. It's like where did those 250 come from? Because they didn't use him there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, I think Phil Lindsay is going to have a better year than last year. He seems like a guy who's going to improve. He's in a better situation with a better offense, at least in theory. Everything we've seen so far makes us think it's going to be a better offense. And so projecting a guy like him, who I really don't worry about regressing at all, to have a better season, I'm not worried about. I think he's right up there like 1,100 yards, 500 receiving yards, sure. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. And it's I'll just say this. I'll never be the one to count out Philip Lindsay from improving. From the, he, all he ever does is improve. Yeah, and I guess I've just been listening to you enough that I know also not to count out Philip Lindsay. All right, before we move along here, uh, I'm really, really excited about this, Henry. This is the first time we talked about it on this podcast. I know we put it out on social, but BSN Denver has officially partnered with Breckenridge Brewery. They are now the official beer of BSN. I'm so, so excited about this. It's a Colorado beer. It's a Colorado brand. Um, they are really, uh, they really mesh well with what we're doing at BSN. Um, they're totally on board with our mission. And like I said, I couldn't be more excited to have them joining the team. Yeah. I mean, I, w- when I first heard we were partnering with Breckenridge, I was like, okay, cool. Brewery. I was a little worried, honestly. I was like, okay, try the beers. Hopefully they're good because we're committed. I came to the Avalanche watch party, tried a Breckenridge beer for the first time. It was the Avalanche. And it was incredible. And it's like, honestly, at this point, like the only beer that I want to drink. And once we're done with this, it's Monday at Blake Street Tavern. So that's their craft brew special. So I think I'm going to have to get one. Oh, especially after a long day on the golf course. Such a long day on the golf course. Long day. Long, long day. <laughs> long and hot day on the golf yeah. course. Some people weren't happy it was so long. Um, you mentioned the Avalanche. They had the vanilla porter that, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about. And then they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky. And this is the quintessential hot day on the golf course beer. Huh. It's they, they refer to it as a light-hearted Kolsch ale, which to a non-beer drinker, with probably me, or I shouldn't say a non-beer drinker, a non-experienced uh, beer drinker me. that probably doesn't uh, mean much. But what it really is is just kind of that light summer beer. You get that mm. fruitiness of the uh, the strawberry in there. Uh, they're they're really excited about it. We're really excited about it. It is. It's just. It's that on the golf course, fishing. You know, whatever. Whatever you picture, you're doing anything in the with sun, the sun. Yeah. And you just need something to cool down with, and maybe catch a little buzz in the making. <laughs> strawberry Sky. So check out uh, Breckenridge. Look for the Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store, or really check out any of the Breckenridge beers. Send us pictures if you're drinking Breckenridge beer. Breckenridge beer is is part of what we do now. So. Uh, if you're if you're uh, part of the squad, which most of you guys are, or all of you guys who are listening are part of it, then you roll with Breckenridge too. Uh, you can also check out the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. Check out anything that we're doing. It's all sponsored by Breck uh, now, and and tomorrow we'll be right back at the Blake Street Tavern. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> uh, because we are doing a All Star Game watch party with BSN Rockies and Breckenridge. Um, so if you guys want to come down here, you, you don't have anything to do for uh, the All-Star game. You, it's kind of, you know, they call it the Midsummer Classic, right? Yeah. 
That's what it is. It's what it's going to be down here. It's a Midsummer Classic. It's just a good time to come down. It's also going to be our guy Andre's first ever BSN watch party. Oh my god. I don't even I can't even remember my first BSN watch party. Uh, Must have been a good time. Yeah. <laughs> um So yeah, come down here. You can hang out with me and Henry. You can hang out with Andre, Allie. Drew will be down here, of course, if you if you want to ask him some Rockies questions. Uh, and most of all, we're going to be drinking some delicious, delicious Breckenridge beer. Uh, so excited about that. All right. That was a very long break. So why don't we also very long segment. <laughs> so why don't we also take a break before we hop into the questions? We'll be right back. The Greg Mastriona golf courses at Highland Hills offer something for everyone. With a championship 18-hole golf course, the regulation 9-hole blue course, and two par threes, golfers of all skill levels will find exactly what they're looking for. There's a lot of opportunities for families to enjoy the game of golf together here. as We do have multiple courses, all different skill levels, so it's a great place to teach and develop really a good way for families to you know grow their skills and enjoy the game together that was alan brown he's the director of golf over at highland hills if you're busy at work all day don't worry at highland hills it's never too late to start a round of golf well highland hills has a fantastic pay for what you play program it is designed for the player to play after four o'clock or five o'clock in the evening and you check in you play as many holes as you can until dark and then you come to the pro shop and we give you a rain check for any holes you don't finish we also do a really fun event glow golf on our par three golf course one time a month 25 dollars no cart but we give you glow balls it's a fantastic way to have some fun with friends and get out and enjoy the nighttime and the summertime here in Colorado. To learn more and book a tee time, head over to GolfHighlandHills.com today or call them at 303-428-6526. Well, Henry, we were worried about content. I can't. We, we just why did are it. we ever worried about content? I don't know. I don't know. It's like it's ingrained in our brains. Yeah, no, we get all scared. We sit down at the table here like, oh, no, I hope we get enough questions. And then all of a sudden it's nine questions just like it is every single day. Well, and also we just talked. We did an entire – the first Before segment – we even got to the questions. By other people's standards, that was a full podcast. It was podcast. double a podcast. Yeah. You know, I was looking through some other podcasts. I'm not going to name names because I feel like I'm calling them out. But there was a podcast I was excited to listen to. I turned it on. It was 11 minutes. Oh, no, a that's weekly 11 minute podcast. Yeah, that's, that's not a podcast. That's not enough. Oh, yeah. I I mean, it's just like your favorite TV show. Like that's what that's what I love about the Bachelorette. <laughs> it is. You got to wait a week, but hey, that's tonight. Oh, it is tonight, isn't uh, it? You got to oh, wait a week. I wow, it's probably on right now. Oh, we better hurry. We, no, we I like get, to watch it after it airs because so then you fast forward through the commercials. Ah, uh, but then. I can't stay off Twitter long enough. It gets spoiled. I don't have any... I don't follow anyone who has spoilers. Okay, yeah. Maybe I'm just a little more body than you. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, if you're going to wait for a show, I expect it to be like a full-length show. And, and we don't even make anyone wait for it, and then we oh, still give them... For the people who don't know, The Bachelorette is two hours. I'm not sure if we said oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Two hours. And then once you fast-forward through all the commercials, it's like an hour and ten. But Yeah. It's actually so probably much like an hour and So much content. And they don't sacrifice quality either. That's what I really appreciate. Except for that one episode where they just did a really long interview with Hannah. <sighs> yeah. I was yeah. really upset by that. No, I, I'm not there for Hannah. I'm there to see all the guys like fight over Hannah. I'm just, I'm there to, I don't know. I'm just there for the show. I like Hannah. I Hannah's just don't want to cool. see an interview. Like if I want to watch an interview, I'll like, go to YouTube. Have one of the guys interview her. Like that's what the whole show is. Like they go on dates and they talk. Like have, I think yeah. what I think ha- honestly happened is 
they lost footage or footage got corrupted yeah. from that. And they were just like, we have to fill this. What do we do? That's weird. That's the only thing I can I think, think of. I think my, my favorite part, maybe not my favorite, but the part that intrigues me the most is that whenever Hannah kisses somebody, they show the entire kiss. Uh, it makes like, me uncomfortable. Like, but you have to know. Because like if we're evaluating the relationship, we have to watch the full 45 seconds of the kiss so we can be like, oh, 45 seconds. That's... You know, right? You're like it, comparing. It, you're like average kiss. Exactly. Jed, forty five point two seconds. <laughs> and then what happens after? Like, Mike, does she giggle? Like, uh, my God, I love I, this. What I follow most closely is the way that she smiles, which sounds really uh. corny, but like, uh, unfortunately, because we know Jed is a bag. Oh my God, I hate um, him. Whenever yeah, I he so says something before. to uh. her, I know. Ever since I know. Yeah. Whenever he says something to her, she like lights up in this way that she doesn't do with anyone else, and that's what I'm like, oh, he's winning. Yeah, yeah, and she, I don't know. You have to give her credit because she does have such a great fake smile. Like, I couldn't turn it on the way she does. Like, to have 30 guys or whatever it is after you, half of them you're not even interested in, but she's still able to put on this, like, genuine-looking smile that they can't, uh, it's impressive. It is, okay. I can't imagine being in her shoes. I got to keep us on track. That's fair. Because we've already <laughs> done a full podcast. <laughs> Uh, from three for B, he asked, "Can we get a pod featuring Andre? Heck, maybe even at, grab AJ and just make it a full draft pod mm. covering the upcoming supplemental draft." Come to the watch party tomorrow. It's like, uh, wh- what were those like? Create your own adventure books. Is that what those are called? I don't know what that is. Yeah, it'll say like, "Okay, you're climbing a mountain. Do you turn left or right?" And you're like, "Oh, oh that's pay- fun. turn page fifty one." But then all this crazy stuff happens. Yeah, but you can like build your own podcast with Andre tomorrow if you come to the watch party. One on one podcast. Yep. That's the best thing about coming to, to the watch parties. Some people are like, oh, I feel so bad, like, asking you all these questions. I'm like, this is, this is my job. Like, you can, like. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. That's why I'm here. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, you can ask me whatever you want. Yeah. Um, yeah, come to the watch party. Or maybe we can get Andre on at some point this week. We should be able to. I think we're going to be in the office on Wednesday. So okay. maybe we just have him. Uh, he says, he chimes in and says, meant to get this after Wednesday's pod, but forgot. Zach set the single pod record for curse words on We Get Mad Wednesday. I don't Zach. Think, of course it's Zach. I don't think Zach cursed. <laughs> I had to bleep myself in post-production. Oh, really? Um, that wasn't on We Get Mad Wednesday. That, that was on um, something Friday. Feel Good Friday. Mm. All right, next one here. So, yeah, we'll work on maybe seeing if Andre can talk about the supplemental draft because I can tell you what, we can't. I know nothing. From Super Bowling. This is a long one. Saddle in. Oh, boy. He says, Madden is incredibly awful recently. So I would imagine our rookie rankings would be too. And, of course, this was from We Get Mad. Yep. Nope, that was from Feel Good Friday, <laughs> which wasn't that feel good, I guess. No, it wasn't. Interestingly, though, he goes on, I heard this year's version is getting a serious upgrade to the superstar mode where you're a franchise quarterback. This year, I guess you start out as a college quarterback and go through a mini season, then the off season, including pro day and combine, and then everything that real NFL QBs do post-draft that impacts the franchise will be incorporated into the game mode. My guess is they'll be trying to build it like 2K's My Player mode. Could be interesting. I'm hooked. You are? Yeah. I love the long play. Okay. So, like, I've told a story before about how obsessed I was with NCAA football and how I, of course, lost my program in a terrible accident. Um, <laughs> uh I was, like, so invested in that because you had to, like, recruit and do all this stuff. Like, yeah. it wasn't just straight playing the games. Are you someone who just wants to play? No, I'm the same way. I'm the same way, but I don't get as into the career mode. So me and my new roommate, 
both are really into Madden. Neither of us had played the franchise mode in years. And so, but then, like, we had some downtime. You like, like the okay. head-to-head stuff. I, I'm down with the head-to-head stuff. I'm good at the head-to-head stuff. That's probably my strength. But Apparently, I, you, you wiped the floor <laughs> with Brandon this weekend. I wiped the floor with Brandon. <laughs> so, so, first game, I... I not, you're a little too early <laughs> I, into I, a full-time job here to be just waxing I the know. boss. Well, and I decided not to tweet about it. That was... Smart move. Yeah. Now you're talking about I brought it up. Yeah, you brought it up, so I'm willing to expand. First game... I'm I'm the Rams. He's the Chiefs. I get him thirty to seven. I think. I, I feel like you're giving in too much detail here. He 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 comes back for more, and so I'm like, okay, I'll take the Broncos. I play with the Broncos, be him twenty four seven. But then he got me in game three. Chiefs Broncos again. He uh, scored a touchdown. It was Sammy Watkins getting a jump ball over Tremaine Brock with six seconds left to win by two. But then I got him again in game four, wiped the floor with him. Because so he, he wanted that game four to like set, prove the first two games were a fluke. He's like, yep. it's 2-2 now. Yep. Yeah. Well, okay, so Henry's good. Um, <laughs> I haven't played in years, so I probably suck. Anyways, he goes on. While seriously delayed, I want to touch on the whole rivalry discussion y'all had recently. While I agree the Patriots are definitely not our main rival, was this a conversation yeah, this you was, and Zach had? This was my take, yeah. I feel like our stories as franchises are heavily, heavily intertwined. Whether it be players, coaches, or games, um, I could have bias though because I'm from outside Boston. Now onto the meaty stuff. While my brother no longer pays attention to football, he was a Raiders fan while growing up, and nothing gives me more joy than telling him how much his team sucks. I recently <laughs> became an uncle, and you best believe every year my niece gets a new Broncos onesie, shirt, or jersey. Raiders suck, and I can't wait for them to become the new Browns of the league. That giving giving your niece the uh, the Broncos gear. I love it, but I just realized whenever I see that happening, like if, if I knew a Bronco fan and they were getting a, uh, like an uncle was giving them Raiders gear, I'd be like, why? No, you can't be doing that to that kid. That kid is a Bronco, like through and through, like through the bloodlines, Bronco. But when you hear it the other way, when you're giving the Raider fans kid Bronco gear, that sounds awesome. Yeah. It's just that double standard I've never seen before. I, I don't know. I, I guess I have to take different perspective on this. I, it always bugs me when someone grows up in Colorado and someone says like like oh like my like my son's going to be a St. Louis Cardinals fan because I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan and I'm like you're robbing that kid of being a hometown fan like you got to let him yeah you got to let him be a hometown fan yeah. but then I guarantee there's people who are listening to this podcast maybe even like Super Bowl and who like when he has a kid even though he lives outside of Boston he's going to raise them as a Broncos fan. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be like you're no, robbing no, him. Exactly. But you're also I don't know. You're also robbing him I don't I don't know. I don't know. If you're a Bronco fan just be in Denver. I think that's what it comes down to. Do what you can to be out here, you know? I just can't imagine not like like I I don't know. I would have been pissed if I just grew up in my Parents made my parents were like Dodgers fans or something, and like yeah. I never get to go to the games yeah. or anything. Well, I mean, I, and I grew up up in Montana, so like we have no allegiances. It's like we're Broncos fans, but we watch Broncos on TV. Same thing with like the Avalanche and the Nuggets, and it's a totally different fandom than being down here and being involved and being like at all the sporting events. Also, speaking of Montana, I just got the weirdest text from my mom. Oh, she she's talking it's about a my new segment on the podcast <laughs> presented by Breckenridge Brewery. <laughs> Henry's mom texts him. So Text from Henry's mom sounds better. Only because it is perfectly fitting in with the Montana comment. Uh, she sent me a picture of the dog and said, Good dog. I feel kind of bad taking her on five-mile walks, but I'm sure she kept a mountain lion at bay yesterday, not to mention the bear last week. Montana. Wow. Montana. 
That almost seems like it's a parody of Montana. <laughs> but it's not. It's just like what happens in my yard. Uh, we're bringing that back tomorrow, so make sure your mom <laughs> texts you. Uh, anyways, we're still on Super Bowl's comment. He says, a fun podcast idea would be to do a Where Are They Now episode. Could be the 2015 roster since almost everyone is gone. This would be a more positive episode. Or you could do a Where Are They Now for the draft pick selection since 2015. Could be interesting to hear what expectations were for them when they were drafted, immediate gut reactions, then the moment you knew they wouldn't last, the reasons why they were cut, etc. I know a number of our players didn't last because of off-the-field issues or other reasons, but I feel like as a fan we don't know the whole story. By no means do I think I have the right to know every detail about an individual's personal life, but being journalists, I feel like you guys might know the details and could share some light on different players' situations. For example, Monte Ball, you guys made a comment about his situation, how you were happy he was doing much better. Until that comment, I thought he got cut because he was just bad, and that was the only reason. Well, we were just talking about Monte we Ball today. We were talking today. about Monte Ball today. Um, <clears throat> if you didn't know, he kind of fell into a dark place um, and got... Uh, was dealing with alcoholism yeah, and really got into some trouble. DUI, was there even a more serious offense? I don't rem- I remember thinking that things got bad, but I don't remember all the details. But yeah, if but you Google it, you can, uh, there, it's been covered at, at, you know, in depth, but we can go through that type of stuff. Um, someday we are running out of days where we just say like, Oh, it's the off season. We'll talk <laughs> yeah. about that eventually. Yeah. But, uh, um, to finish off the Monte ball thing though, it does seem like he turned it around. Like by all accounts, he's clean, he has, like, seminars where he's talking about how he got clean and how important it is and all that kind of stuff. And that's what—that's why they wrote the story, of course, because there's the happy ending. Right. It's always hard to do – yeah, you, it's always hard to do the, the where are they now when it's like, and, yep, he's an alcoholic and his <laughs> life is going downhill yeah, quick. Well, especially the NFL when you have so many guys with – whether it's, like, injuries to their body, injuries to their head – yeah, it's scary stuff. And, and it's important to cover it. Like, you can't just brush over the fact. You can't say, well, this guy can't walk. We don't want to talk about that. Right, right. No, and no, no. it's no. important to, like, But I just mean, like, the, the, stuff, the, the, like, where, like, the, like, I guess what, what it would be is it's harder to get someone to tell their where are they now story if they're not in a good place. Yep. Yeah, and I think the, what I really like, maybe not even making them where are they now stories, but that guy's perspective on the organization at the time can be really interesting because they'll give you insights because nobody nobody in the organization has power over them anymore. So they can just say exactly what happened and you finally get to hear. And that's why we hear so much five years later, ten years later about what was happening in the locker room that we don't hear at the time. Very true. I love reading uh, Where Are They Now stories on college players because, like, for me, like, see you – like. Not that many of them go to the NFL, of course. Yeah. And so a lot of them go on to do, like, really cool things or just are a part of the community in ways you didn't expect. Like, there's this dude who played for CU basketball, uh, and he was, like, the last guy on the bench. His name was Preston Slaughter. And at the end of the games, everyone would just chant, Preston Slaughter. Like, what trying to get him. Mi- How do you not chant that name? I know, right? Then it just, like, comes out that he's, like, a math teacher at a nearby high school. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Like, yeah. He became a teacher. He's, like, a, a, a like. A, a beneficial member of the community. And it's like, there's so many stories like that in college. Not quite as many from the NFL and stuff. Yeah. But anyways. All right. I'm s- we're still on here. We got to keep moving. He says, I missed the question of the week, but uh, I would give up a second round pick for Corey Davis. Nice little insurance policy for Sanders. RK, I'm glad you enjoyed your trip. I thought it was funny we were both on vacation at the same time. Don't you hate how vacation week seems to buy- go by so much faster than work weeks? Thank God we love our job. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> we, you're welcome. We enjoyed your TED Talk. and um, Yeah, actually, 
this might be weird, but I sometimes I feel like vacation weeks, not in a bad way, but they go by longer just because there's less things to do. Like, like yes, for me, like I, you just like wake up and then you just like go lay by the beach and then you're like, okay, I, I can't do this for like eight hours. So like, yeah. and the day just like slowly rolls yeah, on. Yeah, we by. had like a family trip to Las Vegas over my spring break, uh, and. You had a it was family trip to that's like an oxymoron. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how the trip went. But uh, it's just kind of like, what do you what do you fill the whole day with? Like we have like however many days here, and you have to fill all of them with things to do, and those things are usually expensive. Like I don't know. So it's, that's it's true. It's, yeah. In Vegas, you're like have to spend money at all times. Yeah. Um. Do Do you have a a Vegas story? Because I told mine on Friday. I told uh, I, yeah. I emptied the chamber on Friday. I don't, Actually, I don't no, really I didn't. have any great Vegas stories. I mean, I like made friends at the roulette wheel. I mean, I don't really remember them all that well. But basically, yeah, it was just like put nickels in the slot machines and get the free drinks. And folks, this is why you don't go to Vegas with your family because you don't <laughs> come home with any Vegas <laughs> stories. Uh. Yeah. All right. Next one's from Colvosel. Hey, guys, would you rather have Wade Phillips or Vic Fangio as the defensive coordinator if you could choose? I mean, uh, it's a, it's a toss-up. Yeah. Like, it's easy to say Wade Phillips. I think the, the, the most honest, boiled-down answer would be Wade Phillips. Yep. But you could make a case and for I, Vic Fangio, and it's like, I've seen Wade Phillips' defense. I'm kind of sick of it, so now I want to see Vic, Vic Fangio's. Yep, and I, we kind of had this conversation today on the golf course when I said Vic Fangio's defense is like a great defense. It's like a mastermind defense. It's a way to put everybody in great positions to make plays. Wade Phillips, he wants five guys, five defensive backs, who can cover your five skill position players, and he wants to send the other six at the quarterback. And so, like, there were a bunch of kinks in that and a whole bunch of different things he did, and it wasn't that every play. But just, just like, on the face of it, Vic Fangio's defense is a lot more complex, whereas Wade Phillips just used the personnel he had very well. Wade Phillips was a very weird about this. He only he only calls it a blitz if you send six, and <sighs> if you send five, I forget what he calls it. Well, I'm pretty sure it had to be like in the middle too. Like if you you can't blitz on the edge, it had to be like he was like, like if ever a reporter said like oh and you you guys sent a blitz you sent a blitz on that third down and he'd be like that wasn't a blitz it wasn't a blitz. Like, he was very uh, stingy uh. <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, Vic Fangio's defense, I'm, it's the same thing. I'm just excited to see it. We saw it, it last year like and it looked Vic good. It seems like Vic Fangio's defense is, is more cerebral. Tactical. More tactical. There's more strategy involved with it yes. rather than just, like, here's what we do. We have really good guys doing it. Try and beat us. Aqib Tlaib is an incredible athlete, so I'm just going to have him stay within six inches or a foot of whoever he's lining up against, Amari Cooper, and that's going to be the defense, and then we're just going to throw everybody else. You know, and, like, that's a great plan, and it worked really well, and they built the defense around that plan. Like, it's not like he just had them. was like, well, this is what we're going to do. And so he does deserve some credit. Wade Phillips does. But Vic Fangio's, like, the zone, like, trusting every player on that defense to be reading the quarterback's eyes, making plays, like, I don't know. I like I, it. I also think Vic Fangio's defense is more – um transferable i don't i don't know exactly what the word i'm looking for here but like if you don't have like last year we saw what happens when you don't have the personnel to run that defense yeah, like they didn't have the work. corners it doesn't work to do it and it didn't i mean they still were a good defense because they had bradley chubb and von miller and chris harris jr but it wasn't nearly as effective like you look back at that jets game like it, it just 
it didn't work because you didn't have the guys. No, because because like Bradley Roby is a good cornerback and he's a really good one-on-one quarter cornerback, but you can't put Bradley Roby one-on-one on Robbie Anderson every single play and expect him to not get beat a couple times. That's just not who he is. That's what you expect to keep to leave to do because he makes whatever fifteen, sixteen million dollars a year. Exactly, and we make. 15 16 million dollars a year because of our sponsors actually no we don't but <laughs> you don't have to tell them that maybe one day we will if you guys keep supporting our sponsors so let's take a break and we'll be back on the other side to finish up the questions what's up guys ryan konigsberg here and i gotta tell you about the blake street tavern it's my favorite sports bar in town as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there it's where i watched super bowl 48 it's where i watched cu win a pac-12 basketball championship back in the day Uh, It's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward and anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, They've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, Uh, The Buffalo Chicken Wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. All right, it's final segment here on the BSN Broncos podcast. A fun one here from the Blake Street Tavern. We always thank the Blake Street Tavern for being a gracious host to us. We can pretty much come here anytime, and they just just treat us like family. Yeah, and they always have, I don't know. It's like a fun place to come talk sports. I walked in the other night uh, after the wedding I went to, and yes, I ended. I did have to go to the after party, even though I didn't feel <laughs> well. Um, and the girl behind the bar was like, "Hey, Ryan," and I was like, "Ah, it's so cool." Someone was like, "Oh," they're like, "That means you have a problem," and I was like, "No, it just means that this bar is dope." <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't have to drink every time here. I didn't drink yeah. anything that night. I just like being here. No. I, mean, I haven't drink anything today except mm-hmm. some coffee and water. But in a couple minutes, though. We're going to have to get some Breckenridge brews. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to get some Breckenridge beers. And, I, and my guy Tyler is behind the bar. So uh, we're going to we're gonna have a few. We're going to have a few. It's, it's only right. We golfed today. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, like, walk 18, but we still deserve a beer or two. We had a couple sn- snacks on the course. I forgot so. about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Going back to the questions here. Next one here is from Steve Atwater Hall of Fame. He says, RK, that Vegas story was epic. I was laughing so hard at the image of you contemplating hugging the guy after he flipped you that $5,000 chip. Yeah, it was it was epic. That's all I can say. I, I, I'm afraid to ever try and top it. I definitely won't be trying to top it by bringing my family to Vegas, though. <laughs> I'm loving that you're doing this. I, I do not want... I, it was a point of contention. You know what? My mom actually came... When I went for my 21st birthday, it was kind of like, uh, mm. it was like my mom, it was like a rite of passage, you know? Yeah. She's like, oh, I'll yeah. take you to Makes Vegas sense. on your 21st birthday. But she would like, it was kind of like, we touched down and she was like, all right, I'm going to my room. I'm like, all right, see you later. <laughs> and then we like saw each other for like breakfasts if we made it. And then <laughs> at the end of the trip, she's like, remember, like we got to leave at like 7am tomorrow. I'm like, all right, cool. And then, so that was yeah. That's the extent of me being with family in Vegas. Yeah, no, I was just kind of like in and out with them. Like I'd just go hit a casino, have a couple drinks. Did you play table games? Um, no. I I, I should have. I didn't trust myself. Like because I told myself I was gonna learn like all the blackjack strategies because you have to learn how to play. You're giving me a look. No, you don't. 
If you just go, if you just go up to <sighs> some of us aren't made of cash, Ryan. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> just go sit down on a table and just ask the 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 blackjack dealer what does what does the book do? What does the book say? Yeah, I don't want to be that guy though. No, you do. No, I I had like this vibe going. Like I got I I won the first day, got myself like a sixty-five dollar haircut. It's a seventy-five dollar haircut, which like was a pretty dumb way to blow all that money. But I look good. And I like <laughs> didn't I didn't want to ruin all of that by saying, "Hey, what do you think I should do?" You know, like you have to have this confidence. Oh, you want Yeah, you're trying to be that. You're trying to be like cool guy. <laughs> and so I hid in the corner and put nickels in these little <laughs> oh, machines. Yeah. I guarantee you look real yeah. cool doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I need to go back though. I, I really need to go back. I only I refuse to play blackjack with anyone who doesn't want to play by the book makes sense because there's no reason to not go by the if book everyone plays by the book then you have the you all have the highest chance of winning now someone's yeah. probably going to get a, a bad streak of luck for sure but the table as a collective has the best chance of winning if everyone plays by the book but like if somebody else plays by the book do you yourself have better odds i don't think so it wouldn't change that no like, like someone's going to get their, the short just, end of the stick it just like frustrates you to see people not give themselves the best possible odds yeah, exactly. And also, it's just like, that's the way you're supposed to play. Like, yeah. if you sit there and you're like, you're on like seven, I literally saw a guy try to stay on seven. But, but and like, I was like, what are you doing, dude? Like, you're messing up all the cards for everyone else. It's just not how it's supposed to be played. It, it does like make, like, why, why even play the game, though? Like, if, if everybody's just like going by the odds, like, what is it the point of the game? Why, why do you have to, why does that be money. so complex? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, there are certain times where you can, like, kind of trust your gut. But I just always I mean, ask, yeah, what, is, what would, does the book say? I would say? go what by the book, the book every single time. But why not, like, go to a machine that says, like, oh, we're going to pay out 48% or whatever? I will never play a machine. Really? Never. Why not? Because it's stupid. The odds are worse. I don't know. They, they have all the lights and the noises. And then when the you win, everybody the first looks. Time I, went, I went to, like, a Buffalo one. And I was like, oh, the buffs. Yep. And I put oh, I know like that one. I know five, that one well. Yeah. That was like the only one I could figure out. I put in like five bucks, pressed the button five times, and I was done. And I was like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. I'm never playing one of these again. My thing is roulette. I'm a big and roulette that's guy. That's another terrible game. I love that. Like, just the way like you can just like stack on bets. Like, you can say like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play the odds. I also want to say like, put a quarter on the 10 too. And then, and then like you give yourself the chance of the big win, but you also like... It, it'll let you keep playing for a while because you're just playing like these 50-50 odds. I gotta teach you how. I gotta teach you some. Can we just go to Vegas? Games. Yeah, we gotta go to Vegas so I can show you. I mean, first of all, there's one acceptable thing to do in blackjack, or I'm sorry, in roulette, and it's after a night where you've won, and you're just feeling hot. <laughs> you put just it take all, all of black? your winnings and just take, put it all uh, on black. See, no, that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Because I've done that before, and I've only ever won. I will say I love Vegas, though. I think that that's, like, the biggest thing I came away with is that I really want to go back there because, I don't know. The thing with Vegas, Zach and I kind of talked about this on the pod, but if you're broke and you go to Vegas, you can have a good time. If you're rich and go to Vegas, you can have a great time. Like, there's just something for everybody there that, that I don't feel like is the case in most places, you know? It's very, very true. <sighs> the only thing I wouldn't recommend is going broke and hoping to get rich because you'll just get more broke. Um, Probably. He goes on and says, me and my wife are going to Vegas for the first time at the end of this month. Outside of gambling, which I absolutely hate. Oh, no. <laughs> what would you recommend doing while we were there? They have great brunches. What are your favorite casinos and restaurants? It sounds like you 
maybe had a more of an experience that involved like experiences because uh, yeah. this is me at is, I, I I get to Vegas my friends are like yo we're going to the clubs at 10:30 like see you there I'm like ah oh, yeah, yeah yeah see you there I'll be at the table and then I'm like oh I'll I'll go meet them up at 10:30 and then I look down at my watch and it's like 1:30 a.m. I'm like oh guess I missed that 10:30 club call so yep. like yeah it's that's fun to me I don't know I like betting on on the games too oh, of me course. too. Me too. Um, what did you do that was fun in Vegas that didn't involve gambling? Um, so like we went out, we like you know check out the Hoover Dam. Like we took like this flight thing. They're actually pretty cheap. You guys were literally Vegas vacation. Oh my god, yes. Oh, yes, we were. Did did everybody in the movie hate each other by the end? Uh, I can't remember. Okay, I think so, so so then yes, yes we were. But uh, we did all that stuff. Like we checked out the Grand Canyon real quick. You know, all the all those kinds of things. We went to this place called Blackout Dining, where it's just pitch black. Like it's a restaurant, but it's just totally pitch black. And so you walk in there. Like I had my hands on the waiter's back. He like pulls you in there. He's like, "Okay, now wait." And they'll like grab somebody's hand, put the hands on like the back of their chair, so they can figure out how to get in their chair. Like you have to find your silver on the table. My sister what? was stealing my drinks the entire time. She's underage. Like it's a. Uh, it was it was honestly a lot of fun. Okay. It was trippy. So what was this called? Blackout dining, I think. You just dine in the dark. It sounds horrible, and it kind of is for 15 minutes. But then once you like realize that everybody's miserable, eating in the dark, like feeling this food that's getting your hands all sticky, trying to like use forks, then it's it was like a good bonding experience like halfway funny. through the trip. Yeah, exactly. My girlfriend will tell you that I don't even like to. I don't even like eating food in like dimly lit areas. Oh. Like, I just want to be able to see the plate with, like, vi yeah. like, I want to see all the colors and make sure, like, everything's all good. I can't remember what I was watching or, like, reading, but somebody had this great joke. Like, something about how the the darker... Oh, I know it was. It was Douglas Adams. I just started reading this book. Weird book. Um, but he he made a comment, like, the dimmer the lighting, the darker the lighting in a restaurant, the better the food is. Like if you go to like a f like a fancy restaurant, it's gonna have like it's all gonna be like candlelit, and the food's gonna be incredible. Whereas if you go to McDonald's, like the lights are super bright, food's kind of garbage. And so it was like this great joke about how I butchered it, but like if you eat in the pitch black, it's incredible. Well, you've you've done it, so yeah, and it was a good time. So there's there's. I'm that. gonna start calling you Nick Papa Giorgio. <laughs> Why is that? Because that's the name of the guy in Vegas Vacation. The young, uh, he gets okay. a fake ID. Or, okay. Um. So I guess I'm trying to think of other things you could do while you're out there. Definitely go to like one of the all-you-can-eat brunches. Those are always fun. They're incredible. Um, the one at Paris is what we went to. That was the best. Everything that I do in Vegas is very foggy. I do remember going Isn't to this. Isn't that weird how that happens? Yeah. I do remember going to this one restaurant where there's like this kind of expensive menu. And they were like, they came to our table. We had a table of like 20. And they were just like, if you guys, uh, if you guys do $60 a head... We'll just bring you stuff until you say stop. <laughs> like, just we'll just bring out our favorite stuff oh, until you say incredible. stop. And we're just like, yeah, we'll do that. Uh, but oh, I, I that wish nice. I wish I knew what it was. And it was like a nice restaurant. It wasn't like a buffet huh. or anything. Yeah. Um, we went to a Cirque like du Soleil show. Oh, my God. It was so good. Oh, that sounds so good. We went to, like, Beatles Love. I'm, like, oh, a big Beatles sounds, guy. Yeah. So that was, that was awesome. Um, oh, I saw it. When I was a kid, I went to Vegas. I actually have been to Vegas uh, with family when I was, like, 10 years old. Do you remember it going well? Yeah, it was fine. I just, like, I don't know. I I remember there was, like, huh. this 
um, place that made shakes in our hotel, and I would every night I would get a milkshake, and that was okay. Yeah, so that would be enough. Uh, I was the yeah. same way, but with like margaritas and massive daiquiris. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you were the one like walking to the. P- I imagine you like all sunburned, like yep. walking to the pool with one of Great those haircut. drinks around your neck. Yeah. No. See, those were really expensive. Yeah. I, yeah see, those were, like, no, 25 I think bucks. you're missing the vibe. Like th- that's the touristy vibe, which like I'm down for in some situations. But you get a seventy-five dollar haircut, you get like a nice drink and a small glass. Uh, like so yeah. you you I wasn't were wearing like plastic, a Ryan. sport coat and a V-neck. Okay. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> own a sport coat. <laughs> Working on that. Okay. Where um, were we? I went to the Blue Man there we Group. Go. Oh, I don't know if that's still a thing. It was. I, dope. It is. Yeah. No. It's. I can't remember which one of the resorts it's in, but they had ads. I was highly entertained when I was ten. I don't. I assume it would still be entertaining as an adult. Yes, I would imagine. I mean, just all those resorts are just incredible. Like all you walk in there. We might not have the best advice on what to do, but you will find things to do. You will find things to do. There are like, things to do everywhere. You can like my sister one time just went and like. You could just like shoot a bunch of guns at this place. <laughs> I don't know why she wanted to do that, but it's like she Montana. did. Like Montana, but yeah. um, yeah, you're like that's uh, every day in Montana. Is it is it Venice? The Venetian. Oh, the Venetian. We're like it's like this. All of them are just like malls with like casinos and they're like hotel rooms and it's like these crazy massive resorts that's unimaginable. But that one just has like Venetian. It's Venice, and so they have the gondolas and they just have like not rivers, but just like water all throughout all of the hallways everywhere and people like taking other people in boats through there you have to like walk on bridges over them it's it's like disneyland for adults yep um there's always a really cool display at the bellagio oh uh, yep with like flowers and stuff that you can go see it's like it'll be like incredible stuff that's like built out of like flowers yeah no it's it's just incredible just like look around and, you'll and find something. yeah find alcohol on a table to sit at for a bit but yeah all right, moving on here. I don't know how we had just talked about Vegas for 25 uh, minutes. Bachelorette was only like five, so. That's true. All right, from Tokyo Bronco. Hey, guys, just wanted to say thanks for all the great off-season content. I found myself with a lot of time to pass over the weekend, and I spent my time doing chores and listening to you guys, and I honestly felt like I was hanging out with friends rather than listening to something. That's dope. That's what we're shooting for. That's exactly what we're shooting for. He said, it's so fun to see narratives built on the show, whether it's sports-related or not, like Vegas. Like Vegas and The Bachelorette. And my mom's tweet. I mean, text. Text from Henry's. What's your mom's name? Penny. Oh, I knew that. Oh, Penny for my thoughts. Presented there by. You go. There that you go. was really fast. Presented you by gotta, Breckenridge Brewery. You got to like take a week off from puns so that you can <laughs> get back to like in a not. In, it's not embarrassing. It's just like shocking. I'm just too quick for you right yeah. now. All right. Question one from Tokyo Bronco. I wanted to ask you guys about our new offensive system. I know you two, not Henry, but me. Uh, have been able to watch OTAs, and you'll probably get a much better opportunity to watch the new offensive come training camp. Without giving too much away, can you elaborate on what our new offensive schemes are looking like? Maybe there's a team in college or pros that you could compare them to. I understand it's pretty top-secret stuff. I'm just so curious. Here's the thing. OTAs are nothing. Um, so we can't, I, I, we'll be able to tell you that during training camp. Uh, it's so base level when it comes to watching OTAs that – it's just hard to see what they're actually doing. By the time they're, you know, a week, well, let's say two weeks into training camp. When they're two weeks into training camp or a week and a half, we'll be able to say, like, okay, here's what they're looking like. Yeah, and the easy answer is to compare it to the 49ers because that's where uh, Rich Scangarello is from. Yeah, if you, yeah, I mean, that's generally you, what they're going for. Think of a mix of the 49ers and the Rams. 
How great does that sound, Ryan, when you hear the offense is a mix of the 49ers and the Rams? Sounds pretty great. It sounds pretty fantastic. All right, he goes on and says, I've been able to watch Bears State from the past season, so I can get a little bit of an uh, idea of what Vic has planned, especially seeing how Bryce Callahan was used in certain situations. Well, go watch that 49ers tape then. Um, <laughs> question two, what parts of the Bears' defense last year are you excited to see implemented in Denver? Skipping question three for Mr. B. Much love, Zach and RK. You guys rule, and I assume he thinks you rule too. Oh, I um, sure hope so. I ju we kind of talked. We touched on this a little bit. I'm just excited to see the Broncos play a defense that makes the, the offense think. Yep. Like, I imagine it doesn't mean they were it was they were easy on Sundays, but I imagine game planning against the Broncos offense was pretty easy, or Broncos defense was pretty easy for the last couple of years because you just knew. Press you, man, two guys off the edge. And you didn't always think you could beat it, but you knew what they were throwing at you. You knew what you had to do. Whether you could do it, you would learn about Now, it's like you have to go into every week trying to figure out what are they going to do against us. Okay, here's what they did in this situation against this team on, on this down, in this distance. Okay, so we should prepare for that. But it, every time they snap the ball, they're going to have to have an, one eye on the defense instead of just yep. knowing. Snap the ball, it's man. Yep. They're going to have to, you know, he's going to have to look around. The quarterback's going to have to look and scan and see, okay, it's zone. You know, they're going to be sending guys in motion. It's going to be based on confusing the quarterback rather than just based on winning with your talent. Yep. And I agree. Um, you said you want to see the offense have to think. I want to see Chris Harris Jr. think. Mm. I want to see what happens when he just isn't lining up on one guy and following him around. I want to see what happens when he gets to like sit back a little bit, watch the quarterback, try to make plays, see if he can diagnose what the offense is doing because he seems like a guy who could really thrive in a situation like that, just like Justin Simmons too. Those are the two guys who I really want to see. They should be making so many great reads just because they're such bright guys. I don't know. That's, that's what I'm excited for. I like that. I think Chris is really excited about that too. So Good. If he's excited about it, I think everyone else should be too. Yep. All right, last one here is from Ooh Benny Lava. He says, hey, bros, haven't commented in a while. Excluding the possibility of the Broncos making the playoffs this year, what is the best-case scenario for our record at the end of the year? Let's say a record of 10-6 and six gets us into the playoffs, so the options are anything from 0-16 to 9-7. Wouldn't the best-case <laughs> scenario be 9-7? and seven? I'm confused. Yes. What is – oh, wait, okay. L let him go on. For me, 6-10 and 10 would be the sweet spot. In my scenario, Flacco goes 2-8 and eight as a starter, so they're forced to play lock to see what he's got. He comes in and goes 4-2 and two as a starter. This six-game sample size would be enough to see that he's got it. That sets up nicely for next year's draft to start building around lock and would probably keep the coaching staff mostly intact, something the Broncos haven't had in a while. It would suck to suffer through another year of losing, but at least it would provide hope for the future. Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, everybody talks about tanking, and I'm totally bought in for that. And Like the NBA... NHL even like even though they have the lotteries you know that those top tier talents can change franchises and the NFL that's possible especially if you need a quarterback but it's more rare I mean Bradley Chubb great for the Broncos he isn't just going to carry them to a Super Bowl though in the same way that drafting you know Zion Williamson this year could potentially do that for the Pelicans I think that since I've never been on the full tanking side of things I like the idea that you always win as many games as possible so that the players on your team say this is a, an organization that's committed to winning. Maybe you save a couple million bucks in contract negotiations. 
uh, other free agents say, hey, like imagine if the Broncos missed it nine and seven last year. Not not absurd. It would have been so much easier to draw free agents and say, hey. Yeah, but Vic, but Vance Joseph would still have his job. There is that. There, <laughs> there is that. I think if, if you you got to win as many games as you can, though. I see what he's saying now. He's saying if the Broncos miss the playoffs, what's the best case scenario? See lock. For me, yeah. it's either nine and seven or zero oh and sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Nine and seven, you're basically saying, um, at nine and seven, you're saying like we took a big step forward. We just missed the playoffs. Maybe like Flacco got hurt at the end of the year, and Drew Lock won two games in a row, like something like that. Um, but you basically say like we made a big step in the right direction. I think best case scenario, you open the season 0 and 7 with Joe Flacco. Drew Lock comes in, finishes 9 and 0. Best 9 and 7. I mean, yep, it has to be it. That would be impressive. Um, you would hope they would pull. I guess I would think they would. I'm I would hope they would pull the plug at 0 and 6. I mean, we're saying best possible. <laughs> um, the reason I say the other one is 0 and 16 is because it's like. If you're going to suck, just suck all the way and get the number one overall pick. We've got a buzzer beater. Go ahead and read it. Yeah, so we got a buzzer beater from Sacomatic. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, it says, uh, hey, guys, new subscriber here. I've been listening to you guys since the draft when a friend of mine had told me that he would listen to podcasts about his team all the time. I Googled, found you guys, and it's been love since first listen. By the way, just ordered my free T-shirt. Had to go with number 30 and the Mile High Salute. Can't wait to rep down here in Texas. Thanks for all the great off-season coverage, and keep up the great work. You guys rock. You rock. Thanks for supporting us, and thanks for subscribing. And That's right. You heard him. When you subscribe, you get a free T-shirt. Anyone you want from the, from the BSN Denver Locker. So How soft are those shirts, Ryan? The softest. The softest. The softest in the business. Easily. I, like I w- softest in Denver. If, if that wasn't true, I would not tell you that. But I don't have a shirt in my closet that is softer than that. It's incredible. I just don't understand why all shirts, like if you can make a shirt that soft, why not make if the shirt that soft? we can do soft? it as like a startup company, why are like big companies not making all their shirts as comfy as that? I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Anyways, that was the buzzer beater. This is the buzzer. We have finished. My it's God. been a long day. It really wasn't that long of a podcast, but it felt really long because we've been, I've been up since 6.30 this morning. Yep. We've been going ever since. Yep, me too. So now it's time to go have some Breckenridge beer Finally. at the bar with Tyler. We thank you guys for tuning in and we will be back on the podcast, me and Henry, tomorrow. It's getting me down, waiting for you.
Hey guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Winester is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Winester.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. <laughs> 